Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's great to be with you once again. Thanks for taking time to join us. Do you know what time it is? Of course you do. It's time for your Midweek Bible Study 2024 edition. Today is Wednesday, February 21st. We're continuing in our study of the book of Hebrews. Today, we're going to pick up with Hebrews chapter 7, verses 15 to 28. We're going to finish out the chapter, and we're going to talk once more about that fellow Melchizedek. But today, we're going to talk about how Christ is just like him. Before we do, though, let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we worship you, God. We celebrate you. We thank you for the very breath that we have today. Lord, open our hearts and minds to receive your truth today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen and amen. All right, get your Bible or Bible apps out. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7. And while you're doing that, let me share this with you. Verse 13 last week introduced the idea that God's ideal priesthood, which he had promised in the Old Testament, was not meant to be fulfilled in the Levitical order. The author pointed out that the promises of the Messiah are applied to someone of the tribe of Judah. A change in the priestly order, though, requires a change in the law, but God's promise of an eternal priesthood referred to a priestly order which came from the law of Moses. The conclusion of all this is that God had intended to bring us a high priest who would fulfill his promises, a priest like Melchizedek, not like Levi or Aaron. As we begin, you'll see that as we study these verses, it's going to draw out the parallels between Jesus and Melchizedek. So open those Bibles or Bible apps once again to Hebrews chapter 7, Let's start with verse 15. Here we go. We're actually going to look at verses 15, 16, and 17 all together. Here they go. This change has been made very clear since a different priest who is like Melchizedek has appeared. Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Our first question today is this. What does the writer say about the high priest Melchizedek and Jesus? Old Testament priests were vital to the spiritual life of Israel, but they were imperfect and temporary. Only one priest could fulfill God's plans. The writer explained that this different priest who has appeared, he is like Melchizedek and has a priesthood in the order of Melchizedek, just as described earlier in chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. But being in the line of Melchizedek, Jesus Christ was both priest and king. He didn't become a priest by belonging to the tribe of Levi, as Melchizedek was a Gentile priest, so Jesus did not fit the pattern. As described in verses 13 and 14, Jesus was not born into the tribe of Levi, but the tribe of Judah. Instead, he became a priest by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. Because there's no record in scripture of Melchizedek's death, it's as if he never died. So with Jesus, death could not master him. He died, but he rose never to die again. As a result, he'll never cease his priestly ministry. Jesus fulfills the qualifications of being a priest forever. The one who never dies has become the final high priest, and his sacrifice has forever settled the breach that human sin created between Almighty God and sinful humanity. Christ is immortal, fulfilling a prophecy of Psalm 110 verse 4, which said, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The old priesthood was incomplete, beloved, and now it's completely abolished. Next, let's look at verses 18 and 19. They read, Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law never made anything perfect. But now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. 
Our question is, in these verses, the author presents the situation as God setting aside one commandment while introducing yet another. Can you explain that? We know the law had limitations. If the law had been the perfect path to God, all the people would have been able to enter God's presence. Only once a year, though. Even then, the sacrifices could not completely atone for sin. But God had already planned for a better way. It said in the verse, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. There was nothing inherently wrong with the system, for God himself created it. But it was meant to foreshadow what God would do through his son. In addition, the law never made anything perfect. But this didn't mean that the law didn't have purpose. The law taught the consequences of sin and pointed people to Christ. But law-keeping cannot save anybody. If the old system couldn't accomplish anything for sinful people, what could they do? The first century readers needed to realize that a better hope had been made available, one that allowed them to draw near to God. All right, next up is verses 20 through 22. Let's read that, 20, 21, and 22. This new system was established with a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath. But there was an oath regarding Jesus. For God said to him, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. The question is, these verses compare the priesthood of the Old Testament with that of Jesus Christ, who is described as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. What's the writer's conclusion here? God didn't have to take an oath because he can't lie. Yet by taking an oath, he added emphasis that what he said would definitely be so. In the Levitical priesthood, men were appointed based on the law, but this wasn't the case with Jesus. God ordained Jesus' priesthood with an oath when he said, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. Now, there's no similar explicit oath mentioned in the establishment of Aaron's priesthood, Exodus 28. The matter of God making an oath, in addition to the power of his word, underscores the argument that Jesus is truly superior in every way. This oath, it emphasizes that Jesus guarantees this better covenant with God. The name Jesus in and of itself, it emphasizes this point. The writer's not talking about Melchizedek or any earthly high priest, but about the Son of God who is now seated at the right hand of God. So he is the guarantee from God to us. Jesus guarantees God's forgiveness and our acceptability. Because Jesus lives forever, the better covenant, my friends, is permanent. Next up, let's look at verses 23 and 24 together. There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in this office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. The question is, in these verses, the writer again contrasts priests under the old system to Jesus. What is he saying? The historian Josephus estimated that 83 high priests served Israel from the first high priest, Aaron, to the fall of the second temple in A.D. 70. Each served in his job and eventually they died. But verse 24 says that Jesus lives forever. Every high priest would hand off his job to his successor, but not Christ. It says in the verse, his priesthood lasts forever. Only Jesus, my friends, is qualified to become a permanent priest for the entire human race. Verse 25 is next. It says, therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. What an encouraging word. Here's the question. In this verse, the writer shares two themes that portray Jesus' ministry for the community of believers. What are those themes? I think first, Jesus is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. That's what the verse says. No one can add to what Jesus did to save us. 
Our past, our present, our future sins are all forgiven. In addition, Jesus is with the Father as a guarantee that our sins are forgiven and that we have access to God. But here's the second theme. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. As our high priest, Christ is our advocate, the mediator between us and God. His purpose is to intercede for those who follow God. He looks after our interests, presenting our request to the Father, and Christ is constantly interceding for us before God. Christ's continuous presence in heaven as the priest king assures us that our sins have been paid for and are forgiven. Thank you, Lord, and amen. Let's look at verse 26. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Now with this verse, the writer summarizes the overall point of today's passage. Here's the question. What's the point? The writer explained again that the Old Testament system had been superseded by a full and final sacrifice. Jesus is the kind of high priest we need, the verse says, because he is. Now follow along. Look at the verse. He is holy, meaning that Jesus knew no sin. Jesus perfectly fulfilled all that God is and all that God required of a high priest who would bring salvation to sinful people. It also says he is blameless, meaning he is without evil and is completely innocent. During his earthly life, even as he faced temptation, he remained completely obedient to God and completely without sin. It also says in the verse he's unstained by sin. That is, Jesus remains pure or undefiled even as he deals with sinful people in a sinful world. And next it says he's set apart from sinners because Jesus' sinless life separates him from sinful creation. Yet it was only through his separation by his sinlessness that he could act on our behalf. And lastly, it says in the verse, given the highest place of honor in heaven, he is greater than any other high priest because he represents people in the very throne room of God. Doesn't that give you great encouragement, beloved? Next, verse 27, it says, unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. Here the writer is continuing his thought from the previous verse, verse 26. What is he saying? What is your picture of what he's saying here in verse 27? The final argument for Jesus' superiority shows the contrast between the essential nature of the priests and Jesus. The priests under the Old Covenant were merely sinful human beings, so they had to make a sacrifice for their own sins first before they could offer the sacrifices for the sins of the people. And this had to be done every day because no sacrifice could permanently remove the stain of sin. But Jesus, he was completely sinless, never needing to offer a sacrifice for himself, nor did he need to repeat his sacrifice. When he offered himself for sins, his perfect sacrifice obliterated the penalty for sins once and for all, bringing the sacrificial system to an end. He forgave sins, past, present, and future. The Jews didn't need to go back to the old system because Christ, the perfect sacrifice, had completed the work of redemption. You don't have to look for another way to have your sin forgiven, beloved. Christ was the final sacrifice for you. And now the last verse for today, we're already there. Verse 28, it says, The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. Here's our final question. This verse summarizes the writer's argument that the high priests of the Old Testament were flawed. What does this verse say? 
The writer says that the high priests under the law of Moses were not perfect. They were limited by human weakness, the verse said. They could not bring sinners into the perfect presence of God. But God, he designed another way that he secured with an oath. This oath, it was fulfilled, and the new priesthood came after the law was given because the law had been surpassed by the appointment of God's Son, who had been, as the verse said, made the perfect high priest forever. As we better understand the Jewish sacrificial system, we'll see that Jesus' death served as the perfect atonement for our sins. His death brings us eternal life. How callous, how cold, how stubborn it would be to refuse God's greater gift. Original readers would be foolish to abandon Christianity and revert to a system that was now obsolete. Remember, we talked about this in the very beginning of Hebrews 1. This is what was happening as these Jewish Christians were feeling the tendency to go back to the old way of Judaism. They didn't need to do that. Well, beloved, this brings us to the end of today's study. What an amazing journey, short as it was, still packed with lots of great information. The writer really drilled down into Christ being like Melchizedek, but then went even farther, showing us clearly that Jesus is our high priest. Next time, we're going to be talking more about that. In fact, the title is Jesus is our high priest. We'll be looking in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. Thanks for taking time to be with us today. It's great to have you. I hope you have a great rest of your day and week. We'll see you right back here next time. Until then, God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.